Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today I sit down with Julie Knight. Julie is the CMO of Unit 4. And I'm gonna be really honest with you. I probably didn't do enough research getting ready for this. I looked at Unit 4's website and I thought this is a cool modern day company that's grown really quickly. I knew they were 2000 employees. I knew the marketing team was almost 90 from some back and forth. What I didn't know is they were 40 years old, this organization. A number of different acquisitions had brought this together and Julie joined back in 2019 to bring this company into the next decades that are ahead. And she's done so with such an impressive approach to telling a consistent narrative and ensuring that all their content weaves together. One of the really impressive things about her, ask her a tough question as we get deep into this podcast as to what did you do with all the old content? And she was honest that a lot of it just had to be thrown out. And I think that's a hard thing for us to do. But when we dig in here, you'll understand that sometimes we need to really have a shift in our organization to get us ready for what's ahead. This episode will give you that playbook. Here's my chat with Julie. I am really excited to chat about your journey. Let's start with your career. You are the CMO of Unit 4, which is no small company. I mean, over 2,000 employees. How did you get ready for this type of opportunity? Being a CMO for a 2,000-person company is different than being a CMO for a 100-person company. It is. And, you know, Randy, I'll, I'll tell you, it's leveraging on both the past and learning from some fantastic people along the way, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, and I don't mean to, to drop names, but just some really good people like, you know, Karen Walker at, at Cisco, uh, learning from Jonathan Becker at uh, SAP, uh, or just being able to, to know some fantastic uh, CMOs throughout, throughout my career. And I think the other thing is just willing to take a chance. I mean, was I absolutely ready for the Unit 4 experience in being the CMO? No, but I knew enough about what needed to be done and could tap into some really excellent people within the company, hire some absolutely talented to people and not talented people, but also um, partnerships through vendors out in the marketplace. And um, it really was uh, doing a lot of brain borrowing, pulling together groups of people to to make it happen. And by no means was it, uh, you know, everything successful. We, we ran into our challenges, but I think we've done enough good over the last uh, three years that it's provided a good foundation for us to continue to build. I want to go back to some of these roles and names that you dropped, at least the brands behind them, yeah. companies like Cisco and SAP. I mean, these are amazing organizations. And a lot of the time I've, I've been able to chat with marketers who maybe own a very specific role, partner marketing, product marketing. When I look back on your career, you were owning a lot of the strategy in these organizations, mm -hmm. uh, go to market, motion. And I'm curious, as, as you took these on, was your 
personal goal to be the CMO of a company of that scale? Was it to eventually jump to a CMO of a small organization? How much did you chart your path to know where you wanted to be today? So I'd love to say that there was a master plan uh, to to go and become you know the the CMO of a of a super large company, but. I had the good fortune of working um, with a woman by the name of Denise Brody, who uh, was at SAP for a number of years. And I wanted to, to, to run a marketing organization, but uh, we did this thing called the wishbone or, or the fishbone exercise, which is, you know, this is where you want you want to get to, and maybe it's over a three to five year period of time, but what are the positions or the jobs that you need to have, the skills that, need, that you need to uh, to pick up along the way and the experiences you need to have in order to get to that point? And I've, I've very much taken that approach that I wanted to become a CMO, but you know, my first CMO opportunity was at a very small company at the time. It was just 60 people at Reflective. And I went for that role because I felt I knew enough um, that I could make an impact. I certainly knew a lot about the human capital management space, and I knew a lot of the people that were already there. So it felt like a reasonable step forward where I could bring a lot of value, and most importantly, I could learn a lot. So that's been my approach. It continues to be my approach. And the world changes so much. The pandemic is just, you know, a good example of, of how the world has changed. And, um, you know, I'm constantly revisiting it might, what, what I might wanted to have done five years ago has changed a lot, uh, from what, you know, I want to do in the next five years. That's, that's a, a nice way to look at it. I I'm curious, you contrast that first CMO opportunity, and this is, mm-hmm. I believe your third time being a CMO now. Yes. Being the CMO or being in a, just simply part of the leadership team of a 60-person company versus 2,000 plus, something you spoke to earlier is surrounding yourself with great people. And you were surrounded by great people in these other companies. Is there a difference in terms of the type of caliber of individual you get to bring to the table today, given the scale that you're at and the expectations? I believe the the marketing team you have is, what, almost 90 people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you have uh, at a company like Unit 4, um, and I think what is really exciting about Unit 4 is the fact that I get to tap into a group of people uh, that, you know, in days past, it might have been only U.S. based. And now it's, you know, global. And the fact that people can work anywhere you know, I've got a leadership team that, you know, they're all over the place. And, um, and so I truly am able to access what I view to be the best for where we are and the, and the best, uh, for where our company is going. And it's been absolutely fantastic. And, you know, you're, when you're going from a a small 63 person company to one that's over 2000, the types of skills and, the type of business and maybe the, 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 where they are on their own, the company is in its own maturity or, you know, maturation cycle, if you want. Um, it's, it's different set of people. And I've been very fortunate uh, over the last three years to attract people that um, have the right set of skills, the attitude, the patience to go through the transformation um, that we've needed to go through. 
It's really interesting. And something that just came to me as you were describing this global element, and as you said, you've you've got people, part of your own leadership team within marketing scattered throughout the world. I feel like the old mindset, maybe even just pre-COVID, might have been, okay, great, I'll put a marketing leader in a different region and they'll run that region. But now there's an opportunity to connect these teams perhaps more day to day because everyone, mm-hmm. not everyone, but a lot of us are working remote. Mm-hmm. How do you unite all of these different leaders given the challenges of time zones and priorities and you know geographic differences and go to market? Part of it is setting by example. So, and, you know, I don't recommend this for everybody, but, you know, my day starts at about 4.15 in the morning and uh, and I work a couple of different time zones. I mean, I, I get a good night's sleep and I take care of myself, but um, because I really do believe in that. But at the same time, um, I realized that I need to be up early to, to connect with the leadership and, and really the whole organization. So, you know, the way that we do that and you know, a large, large part of it has been virtual because of the pandemic. But we've also now created these, you know, I'll call them moments and times or experiences where we can start to bring people together, um, whether it's just uh, we're going to get together for lunch or we're going to have, you know, get together. We did a Viva Las Vegas where we brought different, actually some different teams. So our, our partner team, we brought folks in from sales, uh, as well as our marketing organization here in North America for a day of learning. And it was you know, from the very start, you know, where, where, you know, how a lead becomes an opportunity all the way through to professional services and customer success and the whole life cycle. And it was an opportunity just to be together and, uh, and take an opportunity for everybody in that room to learn about different parts of, of the go-to-market. So that's, that's how we do it. And it seems to have worked really well. Uh, there is definitely an appetite uh, to have more get together and in-person meetings. We still get asked for like, what are we going to do a global meeting? And, you know, we'd love to, to do that. We, we just know that there's some challenges associated with that in the moment. So we do, uh, as much as we can, whether it's local or maybe across a couple of countries, uh, to uh, to get those to get folks together. But a lot of it is remote and um, using things like Zoom and Teams in order to make that happen. But ongoing communication, town halls, skip levels, welcome calls, all of that is is part of how we we continue to keep in touch and keep folks engaged. And um, and we have a very much of an open door policy. It's not a hierarchy and that's very, very deliberate. Uh, if somebody in Europe is trying to wind up, you know, their day and they need help, they know I'm here, West Coast time, they got, you know, nine hours. Uh, where, you know, I can potentially help them. And we, we do take that attitude because that's, you know, the business has got to run and um, uh, we don't feel like people should have to wait uh, to the next day. Uh, you know, we're here. It's, it's a great mindset to have for your team and I'm sure they value that. And I, I to be honest, sometimes I don't think enough about that in terms of the different time zones. Even just having an East-West North American time zone difference is quite a lot to balance let alone those different regions. So a lot to take in. Now you hit on go to market within your teams coming together and being able to talk about that. We're going to hit on that a little bit more after a short break here on the marketer's journey with Julie. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? 
look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So a lot of us think about what is that first CMO gig that's going to be right for me, one where I can dominate. And there was an interesting thought that I had coming out of this discussion, which is you look at Julie, who's had two opportunities, one, a company somewhere around 60 people, one, an organization over 2000. In one way, you'd say to yourself, well, the, the 60 person one is going to be a lot easier to sink your teeth into. But on contrast, the opportunity to surround yourself with such talent in an organization as large as you Unit 4 or other big organizations, being that CMO and have leaders who understand the different disciplines. I think that's a great opportunity too. And one we may not give enough consideration in terms of where we want to take our careers and how we can set ourselves up for the best success. Julie, I mean what I'm going to say with a ton of kudos to you. I found Unit 4 as we were getting ready to chat, and I thought it was this new, cool, hipster brand. Uh, you know, it looks like a modern SaaS solution. Then I learned that it's a 40-year-old company. How did you give it that facelift that makes it look so cool today? Yeah, well, it's um, it's been... It really has been a team effort, and I would say it's much broader than just the marketing organization. It really was the company coming together to say, we have this great history. We have a lot of fantastic products. We have an incredible culture, but none of that came through. And uh, and certainly many people, when they heard of Unit 4, it was like, is that maybe something in the energy space? Or, you know, what what, what is the what is the Unit 4? I've never heard of it. And um, and so we took that and said this was the place to start, aside from a myriad of other things within the marketing organization, but um, this was the place to start for the company, um, not only for the market, but also our employees as well. And, and, you know, one of the things, you know, maybe the divining rod, if you will, that, that helped guide us there was the verticals in which we serve, you know, those are public sector, nonprofit, higher education, and professional services. But a lot of the business has been in, you know, all nonprofit, public sector, and higher education. And so people that are in those organizations it's they're very purpose, they're very mission driven. And, and, you know, as a people based organization, uh, and one that thinks about um, how can we change the lives of their constituents, 
the story came together, but it was, you know, how can we do that and do it through the visual identity as well? And so, yeah, it looks, doesn't look like a 40 year old company that was very deliberate. And, you know, part of speaking to our customers and speaking to analysts and our own employees, it, it, it was a natural for us. Well, that's great. I, and, and honestly, I mean it with kudos because it's, it's one thing for a brand to look that way, but also the way you divide your key segments, products, industries, et cetera. I mean, you, there's a lot of companies that are over 2,000 employees and they've, they've almost over-segmented. And, and what I found interesting looking even just at your homepage structure is the simplicity of the different products, who they're built for, as you just said, the different verticals that you focus. I, I'm curious how you went about uniting the team around choosing those. And in turn, I want to ultimately get here to the content that needed to derive from that new reality. So in terms of the the, the verticals in which we serve, those were evident even before we arrived. Um, you know, we a lot of the growth was through acquisition and within those acquisitions, we had sold into into those uh, verticals and 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 sub verticals, if you will, because you know, PSO being so so broad and and public sector being so broad, so mm -hmm. those were uh, those were verticals that that made a lot of sense. But you know, had we really pulled them together and thought, yeah, this is how we're really going to to focus our strategy. Um, we really are going to be mindful about how we hire how we develop our products, you know, specifically for those markets. Uh, what is our customer success orientation going to be like to serve them? And then, you know, you ask about content very, in a very transparent way. Marketing is only just a few years old uh, in its current state at Unit 4. And one of the places that we started was, how do we even speak to, uh, to folks in these verticals? Um, how do we start those conversations with whether it's people in finance, uh, procurement, human resources, IT, that work had not been done. It, it had been done largely through events because events was what was the tactic that most regions executed. But, um, you know, that's that's only OK, you're lucky to meet a per, you know, one to few or one to many. But that's not how it all works. And, you know, for us to be able to to engage with people on their terms, the content and the digital journey had to had to be created and established. And of course, COVID arrived. And if you didn't have uh -huh. that strategy, you better quickly, you know, take that right turn and, and make that happen. And certainly uh, it was a forcing function um, and I'll call it maybe the, the silver lining on that cloud, which said, this is where we needed to go and we were going to hit it really hard. And that was the focus. Interesting. So, you know, I, I, I look back also on timelines here because you joined the company just before the pandemic, if you will, yeah. uh, had this vision to bring the brand into modern day. And you mm -hmm. alluded to this being a 40-year-old company, a lot of acquisitions. And I think we've seen that even in, in newer companies where mm -hmm. companies have come together. There's a lot of stitching together, if you will, of different content. As you rebranded and you had this more concise way to tell a consistent narrative, how much of that content got thrown out pre your arrival? And how much did you find you were actually able to salvage or build off of? 
I would say that most of it got thrown out. Um, and yeah, and it's not that it wasn't good content. Um, it was that um, it wasn't relevant to where we were going. Um, it didn't have the tone of voice that we wanted. It tended to overcomplicate versus present things in simple, straightforward language. It didn't have an intent to take people on a journey. It, it simply said, I'm going to try to answer every possible question you might have and hope to, to answer it in one of the many pages, whether it was on the website right. or in, in, on PDFs. And yeah, that was, that was great a lot of years ago, but that's not how people want to learn and want, and want to consume. We probably took some things out, uh, but for the most part, it, it went by the wayside. So I, I like the honesty there, first of all, and even just the boldness of realizing that, because that's a hard thing to come in and tell a lot of people who have been there for some time and believe in the work that they've done. Can you give us an example, though, without getting too into the weeds, of content that may have been old school in your organization and in contrast, you know, perhaps format or just approach to content that you have found is connected better with modern day buyers? Yeah. So we made liberal use of long form PDFs for about everything. Uh, the other thing was, was the website. The website uh, itself was really, I think, kind of an amalgamation of what different regions and different product groups or different companies we had acquired. So it, it just became this, this thing that took on a life of its own. And you know, there was sort of no way to, to break out of that other than to say, it's just going to go away. And we found different ways to, to communicate with people and to present that information. And again, a lot of the information was good. It's just the packaging was something that we just knew people wouldn't be attracted to. You know, using ebooks, for example, interactive ebooks, it, you know, it's both how do you present the information, make it make it interesting for people to want to continue to read on or use that as a launching pad to go somewhere else, but also gave us insight through the analytics to see whether the message is getting through, whether they were even interested or whether they thought it was like a complete waste of their time. Um, and we needed to pressure test as much in the early days as, uh, as to create. So yeah, there were hard conversations, but at the same time, I, th I think people also felt like they were breaking away from the past. This was a, a fresh palette from which to work. And, you know, a lot of ideas came in. It's like, yeah, Hey, I always wanted to do this. And, um, it's been a good journey. Yeah. So what's, I, I mean, when people buy in like that, it's so exciting and it, it starts to become exciting to go to work. What is one area specifically around content, perhaps that people are excited for is the next chapter as your brand now has these new roots? Video. Uh, video is, is a big area for us. I would say we're still very much in our, in our early days, but we've, we've, um, started to build out a video team actually based in, in Lisbon. And we use more and more of the videos, um, to, for explainer videos, to, to complement what we do on the written word, um, use through different channels. Uh, we want to use more of it actually internally as well. But we know it's a it's a medium that can take often complex subjects and the complexity of of things like ERP or even FP and A 
um, and to be able to tell a story around value change and you know sell the idea of what our CEO likes to talk about, which is selling the idea of Christmas, right? This is going to be really exciting for you. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful medium to be able to to do that and to bring your customers in. Um, and we know people don't necessarily want to just read pages upon pages um, of what you think is important. Um, watching video is a, is a good way to do that. And uh, and again, it provides provides us a, a, a nice springboard uh, into other types of content as people want to become further educated. I love that. I, I mean, the evolution there of, as you said, going from long form PDFs, many, many pages to something that's really digestible and consumable yeah. makes so much sense today. And it's, it's a, probably exciting for your team to be seeing that in the horizon. We are going to take one more break here. We'll be back with Julie. We'll wrap it up together with a few rapid fire questions. I teased this thought in the intro, which is I absolutely love the honesty that came from Julie on the fact that she threw out so much content or moved on from content that just didn't work with the current narrative. I think this is something more organizations need to do. Doing a content audit on a regular basis, whether that's every quarter, every year, or anytime you're really changing your go-to-market strategy is so important. Often we wanna hang on to old content because we think it's gonna help with SEO or discoverability, but we have to realize that sometimes it's sending the wrong message to our audience and a fresh start or a look ahead can actually create a better buyer journey. Julie, we have unpacked your career journey. We've talked about a massive rebrand and the future ahead. So I want to ask you a couple more questions about the future. And let's start with the future marketing leader. You got to the CMO gig, as we said, working in very large organizations, understanding scale. When you think about that next CMO, maybe they're on your team. Are they coming from a big organization into a big organization? Are they focused on a certain segment of marketing or practice in marketing? What do you see as those skills needed to lead at your scale? So I don't think that it it is um, size and scale dependent. Uh, what I do think is becoming more and more important for that future leader is one who has a sense of the business its mission, its purpose, and what are the what are the key drivers for change? And if you're aware of those things, then I think you know you as a leader can affect not only what the marketing department is doing, but marketing has such broad, I would say, influence across the rest of the organization that that really is where the power is. So yeah, that's 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 what I think the future marketer is becoming. That's great. So we talked a lot about content today and you shared that you think one of the formats of the future or present, if you will, is video. What else is it about content that gets you to lean in and click as vendors are reaching out to you? Is it purely format? Is there an element of other factors that gets you to say, this is for me? It's always the story. It's always the narrative. Um, it's uh, there's gems or nuggets in there. There are insights that that can help me or or 
just even I may be working on an opportunity or an issue in my organization or elsewhere. It's like, wow, that's super interesting. And it keeps me going. And so oftentimes it's more, it's a format independent, um, but it's really how well is it written? And are you, are you really trying to engage me with things that you think may help me or interest me as a reader? So you just teed up my second last question here, which really comes to the idea of personalization, which I feel mm -hmm. to a degree is what you were getting at there. Mm -hmm. What is it that makes something personalized for you today beyond they know your first name? Oh, uh, well, I mean, knowing a little bit about my own career journey, knowing about company, maybe knowing about things that I might be interested, you know, outside, uh, like, for example, I enjoy traveling, I enjoy golf, uh, I mean, but just a little bit about me. I, you know, I think that's really the, the, the ticket. And if, you know, let's just say it's an SDR, somebody who's done a little bit of research, um, maybe, you know, knows that I'm doing a podcast with you and say, Hey, I, I heard this. Um, it's just going to start a conversation. And, and I, and that's why I think it's so important versus, Hey, uh, Julie Knight CMO, and you know, you run a 88 person marketing and like that tells you a lot of things and it tells you nothing at the same time. So true. So true. And understanding the real person versus you know, yeah. their career statistics, if you will, uh, is such a differentiator. Yeah. There's so much information out there that, that the curious person uh, will be the person that, that I think lands a conversation and, and potentially you know, can move into a, into a business relationship. I love that. So that takes me to the last question, playing off personalization one more time, but getting personal. Sure. How do you make time for a break, be it your family? I see photos of a grad behind you uh, as we're recording daughter, this podcast. Yeah. So how do you make time to balance, as you said, waking up at 4.30 in the morning to be there for your team, but also being there for family and for yourself? I would say it's very premeditated. Um, I, I make the time to, to work out, not because I'm like a fitness nut, but just because it's it's just going to make me a, a healthier, happier person. And I think probably an easier person to, to be around. But I also carve out time um, during my day uh, and during my evening that we're, we're just going to spend time and, and I'm going to have fun. I mean, like, I can't, I can't always be on because I think if you're always on and you're always doing this, then you get dull. You know, you're not, you, you sometimes get your best ideas when you're out and about, or, you know, you're, you're reading, you're experiencing new things or meeting new people. It, it isn't always in the confines of, of the day to day or the chair you're sitting in. So you, you do it that. as much for yourself as, as, as what you can contribute back to the business. I love that first point, even of it being premeditated. And I always say, just as if I don't set a one-on-one -on -one with someone on my team, it doesn't happen. If I don't set one-on-one -on -one with my kid or my wife, it doesn't happen either. So we've yeah. got to make a point of it. And I think that's great advice for, for anyone listening in, as is everything you've shared with us, Julie. Uh, this has been such a pleasure to hear your path, your career, how it's shaped. If you're tuning in and found this episode for the first time, check out all the other great stories from CMOs. Everyone's is a little different. And as you're charting your path to that role, I'm sure it'll have its own twists and turns. One day, hopefully you'll share it here on The Marketer's Journey. 
You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.